Well, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. I'd like to talk today on this Sunday before Christmas on what in many ways is the true meaning of Christmas. It has to do with a condition of the heart, a condition of the soul, a condition of the spirit that some of you know well. In many ways, we've known it together over this last year. It's a lowly condition that you know, get to know more and more as you grow older until it gets to the place where if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work, and, as they say, and so much more. It's a condition that God always blesses. It's ultimately a preparation for glory where he takes us from humility to glory forever, and that cycle is what happens in our lives too as he prepares us for glory. He always blesses it in the end. It's so important that once he does bless us in this life, after going through that condition, we must at all costs make sure that we maintain it, the condition that brought the blessing in the first place. In many ways, we'll see it's a condition that's the condition of all else. It's the wellspring of all God's kingdom blessings. And so it's the first beatitude. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the fruit that most befits the tree of the righteous at Christmas time, from which all the others come. The poverty of spirit that we call humility. We'll be looking today at what we call Mary's Magnificat. It's the best illustration of the first beatitude in all of Scripture and of the certainty of the blessing that will come to the lowly. Through this touching story, We see that indeed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To them the king will come. It happened literally with Mary. And it can happen to all of us. The Magnificat was Mary's response to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that came over her so mightily when she conceived. It comes, the word itself, Magnificat, comes from the first line of her exaltation in verse 46 when Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She wasn't magnifying herself in her lowliness so she could magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. She she wasn't full of herself. God had readied her for the fullness of Christ we're gonna see today by emptying her, by laying her low. And so she said, my soul, verse 46, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. He has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Let's stop right there as we tee this up. Mary's Magnificat is the fulfillment of Isaiah 57, 15, where God says, thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and a holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The deepest meaning of Christmas in many ways is that Christ comes to the lowly and it started with the Virgin Mary. If Abraham was the father of the faith, then Mary was, you might say, the mother of the lowly, of those who have room for him, for the one who comes to the contrite and lowly of spirit. He'll never come to you without that. That's how we come to faith. That's how we grow in faith. 
Mary is the mother of the most precious of all the virtues, of the greatest, really, of all the graces. It's like Andrew Murray said in his classic work that he titled Humility. We often aim at and rejoice in what what one might call the more manly virtues, such as boldness, joy, contempt of the world, and zeal, while the deeper and gentler virtues, the diviner and more heavenly graces are scarcely thought of or valued. These are those which Jesus first taught upon the earth because he brought them from heaven, graces like poverty of spirit. Humility, meekness, and lowliness. God finds these qualities irresistible, which is why he entered into the Virgin Mary. And in many ways, his goal through the whole of the Christian life is to make us like her so we can too can be great with Christ like she was. She's the very picture of And so today, by the power of the word, we're going to let her sink in the spirit of the lowly virgin deep into our hearts. Really, it's the spirit of Christ. Because he said, under it all, I am meek and what? Lowly, mild of heart, Matthew 11, 29, just like his mother was. He was talking about something deep in his heart of hearts when he said that he was meek and lowly of heart. It was something deep in his genetic makeup, literally. He had Mary's DNA, not Joseph's. The Holy Spirit fertilized her egg, and so he was born a lowly vessel like her, meek and lowly of heart. Through his mother, he was born to be a vessel for his father, for God's presence and power. A channel only. And through him, it can be the same with us, individually and congregationally. For blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To them the king will come. Some of you come by this poverty by nature, by the way you're wired like Mary did, or by nurture, something that happened to you in your past that broke you, that laid you low to this day, um, as happened to her too. And it may feel like a thorn in your flesh. But we'll see it makes possible power perfected in weakness like nothing else, the power of God Almighty. And just like she didn't see it, you probably don't see it either. Poverty, humility, meekness, lowliness, these virtues are packed into this wonderful story. You'll find them here like in no other place in Scripture. It's one of the most touching stories in all of Scripture. This hero is justly called the lowly virgin. And again, it begins with Mary's humility, Roman numeral uh, one in your notes. Mary's humility. Again, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? And why is he pouring himself out through her? Why has he blessed her? For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave, bottom line virtue. We don't know how she had been made so humble, though we can guess. We know some of it. She wasn't well off, maybe like some of you. She was pretty poor, and that can't but help. And on top of that, she didn't come from a very prestigious location, and that can't help but, but help either. We live in Summit County, and pride of place is so easy. We had struggled with it ourselves. Ministered in Estes Park, and the same thing there. 
She was from Nazareth, an obscure, no-account village in a rather unspiritual region of Galilee, and uh, the part that bordered on the Gentiles, we're told, and uh, one, in one of the prophecies of Christ's birth. And they were the dogs, as the Jews called them, and they treated Galilee that way. Like Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's much more here, but Mary had been dealt some cards that made her poor uh, in more ways than one through no choice of her own, maybe like some of you. So if you've been emptied or if you were born that way, take heart. It's like one author said, one by one he took from me so much that dearly cost till I was empty-handed and every glittering toy was lost. I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty until I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. That's what we've done as a church, haven't we, over the last months? Lift those empty hands to me. Then I turned my hands toward heaven and he filled, he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. At last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God cannot pour his riches into hands already full. That's Mary's story, we'll see, who he filled literally with transcendent treasure with our Lord and Savior. Somehow she had won God's favor. Something in her gave him great pleasure, which is why at the beginning of the story in verse 28, Gabriel said this, Hail, favored one. Back to verse 28. The Lord is with you. Why was he with her? Looking at her, just what was it about her that won such favor, that gave the Lord such pleasure? Well, you can see it in her response to Gabriel's greeting. Because Mary, it says in verse 29, was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of greeting this might be. She was troubled, more like baffled by this praise. That, which is rather odd that such you know, affirmation would cause such deep consternation in her virgin heart. Why do you think? Well, according to the scripture, praise is what tests our pride. And a whole lot else. Proverbs 27, 21. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man or a woman is tested by the praise accorded to him. Back then they would heat up silver in a crucible so all the impurities would come to the surface and then they'd, they'd do it to gold in a furnace. And so what Solomon is saying is that when you're praised, your impurities will rise to the surface. And there's a whole sermon there, but let me ask you a question. Do you think Mary passed the test? Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Had she been, you know, a proud or ambitious young woman, she, she, she would have been pleased by that statement. Had she been full of herself, she would have been all the more full. She would have swelled all the more at the angel's greeting. But Mary was greatly troubled by it, which is truly remarkable. To have that kind of praise from an angel of heaven. She was clueless to what was so patently obvious about her. This one whose life was so obviously commendable was like totally unconscious of anything in herself that deserved such commendation. In fact, she was, she was mystified. So much so that she kept pondering what kind of 
a greeting this might be. Surely there must be some mistake. Why all this to do over me? I don't like the limelight. What could he possibly be talking about if he only knew me? What does this portend? What am I going to have to do that will only prove they've made a big mistake? Ever felt that way? If you have, that's good. It's good to know that apart from him, we've got nothing. But it's not easy. She was clearly not in the habit of basking in her glory. She didn't think she had any, which is good because it says in Proverbs 27, 25 that it is not good to search out one's own glory, to think about it too much, to feed on it, which must not have been her habit because it was far from self-evident for her exactly why she was being praised. She would believe anything about her God, as we'll see, but not about herself. Oh, let this sink in. Hail, favored one. So this was clearly news to her, which is why Gabriel went on to give her time to digest his words so that she could get it. She was obviously thinking, and so he stopped talking while she kept pondering. It went on for some time what kind of statement this might be. Several times in Scripture it says, as you know, that she treasured these things in her heart because Mary was a contemplative. She was deeply introspective, which can be one of the hardest of all personalities. It can feel like a curse, like a a thorn in the flesh. But it can also be a huge blessing if managed in the right way because it can result in power perfected in weakness if you just, if you just lift up your empty self. As, you, if you just, as we're going to see, it, uh, uh, set your empty sails to the wind of his spirit. As she did. So it goes on, God deals with us so tenderly according to our personalities and Mary needed to process things and Gabriel knew that so he gave her time. But he was you know, probably also wondering. I mean, I can, you can imagine what he was thinking. It's like, come on Mary, this is good news. It's Christmas. You've just won the lottery, right? Don't worry, be happy. Gotta tell these people these things. But given what he went on to say, I think that under it all, he must have been moved with affection for this virgin maiden. She was like this fawn frozen in the headlights. Unlike some who seek the limelight, she shied away from it. And so perhaps the angel dimmed his light. And you can be sure he softened his voice when he went on to say, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let me ask you a question. Would you have passed the test? Are you like so many Americans who are just waiting to be discovered, who think we have it coming? Are you just pretending to be humble, or would you have taken pride in the angel's greeting? Someone said humility is merely the practice of hiding from others the high opinion we have of ourselves. And we all struggle with that. It's our besetting sin, but some less than others. And that's why it's good when God brings us low, as he had done with her. In so many ways he does this, especially as we age. When he does, we need to go with the flow. When he does, we need to thank him for bringing us low and and to embrace the poverty that this makes possible, the poverty of ego and pride and self that we may have had all our lives. But he keeps working on us. 
And when he does this, we're beautifully broken to be filled with him, whether individually or as with us, we've been beautifully broken to be filled congregationally. That's the promise. Mary had already been broken, and so she was beautifully troubled by this commendation. And so the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be so hard on yourself, for you have found favor with God. Behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And Mary said, how can this be since I am a virgin? How can this mean? What can this mean? I've not, I've not been entered into like that. She had already shown great fear and there was likely some fear in her question, how can this be? In her modesty, she immediately thought of her, of her virginity. How? And then the angel went on to say something that would even be more troubling. He said, essentially, it means you'll be overshadowed, you will be overcome by something bigger and greater than a mere man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, looming over you, and then something's gonna happen to you. And the Holy Offspring will be called the Son of God. He's talking about the moment of the Immaculate Conception when she would be overwhelmed by a great power. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like to a young maiden? But Mary, it says said, behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. We men can barely fathom what she had just given him permission to do. She was saying, I'm his bondslave. He can do whatever he wants to me. Which, of course, we need to say all the time. For her, it was truly a remarkable response. It would mean deep vulnerability, which would be hugely unsettling for her personally. As a contemplative, she she might not have put to words these forebodings that she was having, but she would have felt them. And she would have unpacked them as she pondered them. Not just what it would mean for her physically, though that would have been more than enough, but what it would mean for her culturally. As we know, it meant the scandal of pregnancy outside of marriage. It meant being an unwed mother. Even once Christ was full grown, the Pharisees said he was born of a harlot, so even 30 years later, she had a bad reputation. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine the gossip that went on those days, and who's gonna believe her story? It's God, God got you pregnant? Yeah, right. It took an angel to convince Joseph who believed her and loved her. Do you think anyone else would have believed without an angel? It meant God Almighty would come into her. And you're thinking she she could hardly handle an angel coming to her. Yet she said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. She's not rejoicing yet. She will, but right now she's saying, I'm a bond slave to him and I will submit to anything that comes from him. Be it done unto me according to your word. Not be it done for me as some kind of blessing. She's not seeing that yet. No, be it done unto me, whatever it might mean for me. And as such, she's a role model for us all. It was a confession of full consecration, of complete capitulation, of reckless abandon to whatever he did. 
Now, that's not an example for us to go into our fears at his beck and call. I don't know what is. So what is it for you? What would he have you to do? How has he been prompting you over this last year? Set your sails to the wind. We're talking really about an extreme sport kind of faith, right? It's like another great missionary, Lilas Trotter. She was a missionary to the North Africans about 100 years ago. She, uh, she was another contemplative like Mary. And she said this, the early stages of faith are reaching upward like the eaglets for their food when the mother bird is overhead. It is an older faith that learns to swing out into nothingness and drop down full weight on God. The broken up nest of former experiences left behind. Nothing between us and the abyss but God himself. In a lot of ways, that's what it's like to grow older. A triumphant gladness and swinging out into that abyss, rejoicing in every fresh emergency that is going to prove him true. The Lord alone, that is trained faith. And indeed, Mary's life became a story of fresh emergencies through which he proved himself true. And as we'll see, she'd soon break out into triumphant gladness over the abyss. It's like Andrew Murray. It's all over the place. She's a tip of an iceberg. Andrew Murray said in his book on humility, to humble ourselves is our one duty. Place yourself before God in your utter helplessness. Consent heartily to the fact of your impotence. Sink down into your own nothingness in a spirit of meek and patient and trustful surrender to God. Humble yourself and descend each day into that perfect, helpless dependence upon God and he will raise you up and exalt you. And every day the life of Jesus will be manifest in you just as it was in the mother of the lowly. Essentially what she did is this. It's like Lilas Trotter went on to say, listen to this. I am seeking more and more that I am seeing more and more that we begin to learn what it is to walk by faith when we learn to spread out all that is against us, all our physical weakness, loss of mental power, spiritual inability, all that is against us inwardly and outwardly as sails to the wind. At his beck and call. And expect them to be vehicles for the power of Christ to rest upon us. So what's he calling you to do? Oh, set your sail to the wind. It's like Mary's song, the one that we can all relate to, captures the spirit of her lowliness that's at the heart of this passage. Before we move on, I am waiting in a silent prayer. I am frightened by the load I bear. In a world cold as stone, must I walk this path alone? Be with me now. Be with me now. I'm toast without you. Breath of heaven, hold me together. Ever utter that prayer? I'm sure you have. Be forever near me, breath of heaven. Breath of heaven, lighten my darkness. Pour over me your holiness, for you are holy. Breath of heaven. 
Do you wonder as you watch my face if a wiser one should have had my place? Why me? But I offer all I am, sails to the wind, for the mercy of your plan. Help me be strong. Help me be. I love that prayer. Help me just be, for I'll fall apart. Then two words, help me. What he asks of us can be terrifying especially through the ravages of the years. And it was for her. And so she made haste to go see Elizabeth. She beat a path, you know, for the reassurance of an elder aunt, some moral support. And do you know what happened then? I'd call it Roman numeral two in your notes, Mary's glory as he filled her empty, her obedient sails. It starts with Elizabeth. In verse 41, it says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she was filled with the Holy Spirit so deeply that the Spirit entered her womb. It was a time in history, in human history, that when he was entering wombs, and it wasn't just Elizabeth, but here, he entered her womb, for when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, she said, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And it says she cried out with a loud voice as she said, blessed, she turned from her womb to point at Mary, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And with this, the attention goes from Elizabeth's womb to Mary's. And the same thing happens with Mary. In verse 36, it says that, that 46, that she, she also cried out and she said, my soul, oh, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit. He's all through, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her sails were being filled. She had no idea that being overshadowed by his spirit would mean that she'd be overjoyed in her spirit to the depth of her soul as he coursed through her body, the breath of heaven to create something out of nothing. It was a sacred moment of all history. And so she cried out as he came over her and moved deeply in her. And while he did his work, on and on she went for 10 verses as she conceived in a state of ecstasy, in a climax of praise, in the intimate adoration that we call the the Magnificat of the Blessed Virgin. (laughs) It's no wonder that all through the history of the church, Mary's Magnificat has held such a special place deep in the hearts of God's people. And why did it all happen? Well, she was a lowly virgin. And if Abraham was the father of the faithful, then this is the mother of the lowly. Starting with our Lord and Savior, who was meek and lowly of heart. And we in the Protestant tradition need to start giving her her due and not overreacting to the class Catholics and neglecting her. Because she herself said, all generations will count me blessed in a most unusual way. And we should celebrate what made her blessed. 
And that is the greatest of all the graces, the deepest of all the virtues, those which Jesus first taught on the earth, as Andrew Murray said, who brought them from heaven, graces like poverty of spirit, humility, meekness, and lowliness. Virtues that make possible the advent of his fullness through us all. Because she went on to say in verse 50 that this wasn't just for her. She applied it to us all for his mercy is upon generation after generation. It's happened all through the centuries, she's saying. What's been happening to me? Toward those who fear him, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever, and we are his offspring. Who's the father of the faith? It's God's characteristic way with his people. When any of these things happen, when you're hungry, as Mary said, when you're empty, when you bow humbly, you're a prime candidate for something that will come, maybe later, maybe sooner, individually and even congregationally. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with the lowly and contrite of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite which is just what he's doing with us. Because he's brought us all together to a condition that he always blesses. One that's so important that, one he, that once he does bless us, we must at all costs, we make sure that we maintain that condition, prostrate on our face. The condition that brought the blessing in the first place. In many ways, back to the beginning, it's the condition that's the condition for all else the wellspring for all of God's kingdom's blessings. And so it's the first beatitude that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To them the king will come through the breath of heaven. The story of Mary here is the very picture of the heart of true Christianity. It's the message of Christmas, the, the, the secret of his fullness, that he comes to those who are meek and lowly of heart, as he did supremely with her. And how do you maintain this condition? Well, next week we'll see. Through the example of another Mary who had the same personality nine chapters later in this same gospel. We'll see that a good part of maintaining the condition of humility, a lowly posture, is what Christ, this is so important, that Christ called it the one thing that is necessary. The one thing for the most necessary of all the virtues, and that is humility. Well, as the worship leaders come forward, thanks to all that he's done this year as we maintain this posture, we can rejoice for what he's done. We can rejoice, rejoice, for Emmanuel has come to us, O Israel. But let's pray.
through this coral, this carol, that he would continue to do this and to fill us, that he would come to us like never before. He has come, and he is coming, and he will come. And so you can go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all people. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and through you all. Amen.